Well, for those that are here, we're going to be in John chapter 5. We're beginning a new series here today. I didn't introduce it to you last, last Sunday, but uh, some of the things that we were, we were looking at, I actually have some notes on a new series, and I'll tell you what, I can't find out where I put them. I put them in the, in the, in the main spot, I wrote them all down, and said, oh, I can't wait to meditate on this and get this thing ready, and it wasn't in my main spot, so I went to my secondary spot, it wasn't there, I went to my third spot, and it wasn't there, so I don't know where I put them, but hopefully that will come back to what it was, but... We're going to spend some time on the healing miracles. I've looked at some of these. We're not looking at all of the healing miracles of Jesus. We're looking at some of them because there's a number of them we've already looked at recently. In fact, the first one that's really there, we just looked at it this year. So I wasn't going to spend time on the noblemen again because we just uh, earlier in the year we were looking at that. We're going to take a look at some of the ones that have been some, some time with us. I love the healing miracles of Jesus. I learned so much from the things that are going on with how he healed and what he did every time we're reading through in the new testament and we come to the healing miracles it takes me a little while to get through those chapters because i just love meditating on them and learning the things that are there for us to to help us as we overcome sickness disease miracles that we need but there are reasons why people don't walk in the healing that god has promised his word has promised us healing and we don't walk through them, through it the way that we should. Many just have decided that healing doesn't belong to them. That it doesn't, uh, since it's not happening, it's not God's will. But we're going to look to examine the encounters that Jesus had in the area of healing. What hindrances that we find there and how they overcame them. What are the things that keep us from walking in the health that we desire? Now the first encounter that we look at here we have a man who was lame for a very long time and it seems that he was seeking for divine healing. We're going to look at what this man was under that kept him lame, how he got out from it, and what may have happened after he was healed. As we look at this particular story, this, this first story, it will teach us three main things. How to get what you need. What is keeping you from it? And what may cause you to lose your healing after you obtain it? We're going to see those three things here in this, uh, this uh, account that John gives us. Let's begin here at verse 1. After this, there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Beth- Bethesda, having five porches. Now, this particular pool, for those of you who have been out on Wednesday night or who are listened in, the Sheep Gate, you may be able to get a visual picture of where that is in the city from the time that we, we spent on that in our study of Nehemiah. But I have a couple of pictures here for you. They have excavated the pool of Bethesda uh, around the mid part of the 19th century. Around 19, I think if I remember correctly, it was 1956 they actually uncovered it. It was long before some other biblical Romans and fortifications were found, but it took archaeologists a hundred years to identify it. It was destroyed by the Romans, and what they didn't destroy was later on des- destroyed uh, again. I think it was around um, uh, around 650, somewhere around there. They, there was some more destruction that came. And also churches were built over the site. Along with the churches came some residential areas. And so... 
the problem that came in with excavating the site was all the residential places that were there and even the churches that were there. So pull up our pictures, if you would, for us. That is uh, down there in the lower center in the lower part of the picture you'll see is the pool of Bethesda it is sectioned into two parts now this is called a five uh, sided or five porched pool and for a long time it puzzled archaeologists what do you mean how can you have a pool that is five sided what you had was in this particular pool if you see that the drawing on the pool here it is one pool with a wall in between so that gives you four walls on either side and then the extra wall in the middle. And these are covered porches, what they call them. So the walls are actually covered porches. So they call them porticos or uh, covered porticos. And so this is where you get the five, five parts of it. John gives us a very vivid description as to where this is. He tells us it's over by the sheep gate. So that tells us exactly where it would be. And the very center of your picture there, you can see the sheep gate is pictured. This is just a drawing that somebody did, but it depicted everything pretty well for us. And so I wanted you to get a chance to see this. There are a lot of pools that are in the, in the place, and some of these pools are pools that were made for uh, ceremonial washing. Some of them were pools that had hot springs that would feed them, and there were some healing benefits for those. Others were fed by cold springs. This one was thought for a time it was fed by a spring, but as they have excavated it, it seems that it was fed by rainwater which would make it neither a cold water spring nor a hot water spring, and so there would be no healing properties from that. And for a while, they thought that actually had something to do with it. If you go on to our next picture, and if you like this picture, this is the actual site of the ruins. It is really hard for me. I, I looked at a lot more pictures than this. I looked at probably 12, 20 different pictures of this that are, that are out there. It is very hard for me to get from that drawing, and there are many other drawings like that, but to get from that drawing to that, it's hard for me to see it. But archaeologists have penned it all out, they draw it all out, and sometimes things that were there are not there now. When Rome destroyed it, they took a lot of the porches and they just crashed them down into the middle. And then uh, more destruction had come after that. So uh, this is actually a picture of the pool as well as the cathedral the St. Anne's Cathedral that is on this, uh, built on this site. So you can get both there. I cannot tell you exactly where one starts and one ends. So <laughs> it is uh, a little difficult for me to, to pull that out. But the name of the pool, Bethesda, it's Aramaic, and it means house of mercy. In case you're ever wondering where this uh, name came from. Now, if you go up on Google and you put in the pool Bethesda, if you do a search or any search engine that you use, if you then go over up at the top, you'll see a spot that says images. And if you click on the images, you'll get a lot more of these if you want to take a look at some of these pictures and see uh, more views of this particular pool. But this is the pool that is there. I think the drawing gives you a good idea of what kind of things were, were going on in those covered porches that would have been there. It would seem like he would be around one of those covered porches waiting for the waters to be stirred up and then he would, he would go on into the, into the pool. To have that. Now, in let's go on with, with uh, verse verse three. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So, a great multitude. There was not, we're not just talking about a couple of dozen. This is a great multitude of sick people. 
all gathered around the porches, all gathered around the edges of the pool, waiting for the waters to be uh, stirred up, and then they would get in. For verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now here's the question about this most people ask. Is this a God thing? Is this something that God did? And I thought I had some notes way back when we went on over this before, and I could not find that I had those, so it may just have been notes I had in my head because I couldn't find any of the ones in places I wrote down. Some manuscripts, and if you're using one of the inferior translations I've talked about before, <laughs> such as the NIV and other ones like that, um, if, you, if you do like the, the way that they translate, I don't. I don't use one. I don't have one. I've actually stripped it off all my computers. I am that against it um, because of the things that they've done. If you like it and you want to read that's that's great, but please make sure you get one that's actually more legitimate because the NIV is every year getting further away from being legitimate. Somebody asked me a question about some of the translations and one of the answers I told them was the NIV along with others are what they call a living translation in which they continually make changes to the translation so you have to look in the beginning of your niv to see what published a year it was to find out which version it was because i don't even know what version they're up to right now they don't list it as a new new niv anything like that it's just listed as as that there and they continually make changes and subtle changes here and there but they take things out and they soften things and they, they uh, get away from it. I am so against it. You will notice this. You may, Actually, this is something you may never notice. I notice it because whenever I do the covers for the bulletin, I sometimes find, oh, this is a great cover. This is the verse that we're going on, but it's NIV. Skip it. I scratch it. I will not put an NIV on this. Now, as much as I dislike that, if you have an NRSV, that's even further down on my list. That is a horrendous translation, and I would prefer to burn it than to keep it in my home. There are some denominations that have adopted that as their translation. It is horrendous in the things that they do. You don't have to be a Greek student to see all the things that they have done in that. They have, you can just compare it to a new King James or even the King James or one of the other ones like that. But if you have those, just, I'd rather you didn't. But if you are going to have one, be, be careful with those things. There are some very bad translations that are coming out. But those are particular ones that are called um, living translations in which they continually make changes to them. And they will take things out. So some manuscripts have taken out this part about the stirring up of the water. So is this a God thing or not? And I've looked up the history. I've read a lot of notes that people have made about this. And... There's a lot of supposition. There's a lot of guessing that goes on about this. There's a lot of things. Well, people, I don't know that God would do this. So I'm just going to go back to the very text that we have here. If you were to go outside of this part that said that the, um, uh, the angel would come down, if you took that part out, what is the reason that multitudes are gathered around this pool? Why are they there? There has to be something that drew them to that pool and that has them coming in multitudes. And it would not be something that happened once in a great while. This has to be something 
that goes on on a regular basis. Supposition is out there that this is a pagan idol worship center. Now, one of the things that Israel got cured of in the first captivity was idolatry. They never went back into it. They went into religion, but they never went back into idolatry. I don't think they would have tolerated an idolatrous worship center at the Sheep Gate, which is where they would walk the sacrificial lambs through. I don't think they would have tolerated that. Would Jesus have visited someone to get healed who was seeking after a pagan god? Now, my estimation of that is, no, that is not something that he would do. So if I just take a look at the very story that we have here in the book of John, all the account that he gives us, John's account by itself tells us that the people in that place believed that an angel from God came down, stirred up the waters, and that the first person in was healed. Why would God do that? Well, God is God sometimes. And, but I wonder if God was doing this and stirred this thing up to get people to look for him as the healer because he was sending his Messiah. And part of his anointing was to heal the sick. And this would get them to be looking for it. That is my estimation of it. If no one was getting healed, I think they would eventually stop coming. And this guy has been coming for a long time. Why would he continually keep coming if he never saw anything happen? So in my estimation, this does seem to be a God thing. This does seem to be, seem to be an angel that came down and stirred up the waters. There was some supposition that there was a, a spring and when that spring would erupt, that would be cause of the stirring up. But from what I understand, some of the newer things they've, they've looked at this excavation, it does not seem to be a spring-fed pool, so that would eliminate that as a possibility. Let's go on. Verse 5. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years he had this. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now, that seems like a crazy question to ask somebody who's been at the pool here all these years and is looking to get healed. That's the only reason he's here at the pool. Do you want to be made well? But Jesus does not ask ridiculous questions. The Amplified adds this to it. Are you really in earnest about getting well? Do you earnestly want this? Weiss puts it this way. Do you have a longing to become well? Now, you can ask this of some sick, sometimes sick people like being sick. They like the attention. They like the fact that I don't have to do certain things. Other people come along and do things for me. I've, uh, I was talking to a particular doctor who was working at an office to try and help people out of accidents. And he says, not everybody who comes in wants to get well. I was amazed at that. So why are they coming all the way to you to get, if they don't want to get well? He says, because some people have to show up for insurance purposes. They don't want to get well. They want to stay being sick because they continue to get paid. They get disability. They get whatever kind of money that's coming in and they don't want to ruin that. So they want to come in, but they don't want me to actually do anything to help them to get better. 
Well, I just have to accept that that mentality is out there. Uh, I'm sure that none of you have that mentality. We'd rather get over something and, and be, be better. But do you, want, do you really want to get well? Are you just here? Now, why would he just be there? He's been in this condition for 38 years. How many people are around him? There's a multitude of people around him. How many people does he know? If you know the story, you know that one of the things he says to Jesus is, I have no one to put me in the water. He's got multitudes of sick people all around him. They may have people that are there with him. There's multitudes of people around here, but he has no one to put him in. It would seem to me that he has worn out the people that are around him. Now, he may have somebody that he stays with, and maybe part of the way that he's allowed to stay there is that he's required by them to get down to the pool. Look, you can stay here, but every day we're dropping you off at the pool. Uh, maybe one, they don't want to deal with them all day long. Have you ever had that with people? You ever have people in your life that, you know, they're sick, they're bothered by something, and you just don't want to deal with them all day? We've got a pool. Let's take them on down to the pool. We'll put them down there. <laughs> and we'll just leave them there. And then we'll come back and get them because, you know, he's Uncle So-and-so. We have to come back and get them. So maybe he's, he's just doing that. And maybe he's completely given up hope. He's been had this for 38 years. How many of you would give up hope if you had something for 10 years? 38 years he's had this condition. He may have already given up hope that any, any chance of it, this changing is going to be changing. So Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? Are you still in a place where you are seeking after being made well? Or have you come here for so long that you've become callous to it? Well, this is just the condition I'm going to be. And you talk to Christians and you will hear Christians that say stuff like this. Well, I would love to get healed from that, but it's just uh, God just doesn't seem to have that in store for me. It hadn't happened so far. Well, I put this in your outline for you. I wanted to make sure you got it. Great need is not what gets divine attention, but those in faith. But many still have their prayers filled with pleas instead of faith. Oh, we get to God and we pray. Oh, God, please take this from me. We, we plead based on need. We plead based on urgency. Oh, God, I have to have this done. It needs to be done now. Or we plead based on our works. God, look how long I've been faithful to you. Look at all the things that I have done for the kingdom of God. Look at all these things. And we begin to plead on works. There are Christians all over the place. They plead on need. They plead on urgency. They plead on works. That's not how you get God's attention. You get it by faith. That's what we need to have. We need to have faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. This guy is not in a place of faith. And under this first one we're looking at here, there are times that people sought after Jesus for healing. Many times, great multitudes were brought to Jesus and he healed them all. But they came and they sought him. There are times that other people came on an individual basis and sought after him. The healing story before this one, the nobleman, he came and sought after Jesus. This one, 
Jesus sought after. He comes to him. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? He's asking this. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Jesus does not assume by our actions that we desire to be healed, but by our obedience to his commands. He does not assume by our actions. We think our actions should convince anybody that I want to be healed. He does not assume by our actions. He's looking for obedience to His commands. Even if the actions are of great inconvenience, it doesn't impress Him. Now note also the the story before the nobleman. And if anybody needs a review on that, let me know. I'll send you the link to it because we just covered, I think it was January or February this year we, we went over that one. In the nobleman, he came a day, a little over a day's journey to get down to where Jesus was. He knew he didn't have much time. There was an urgency with him. Please come with me. Please come with me. And, and Jesus wasn't going to go. And he sent him on his way. And so the man had to go back. Look at these actions that he had. Jesus was not impressed with the actions. He said, go your way. Your son lives. That's what he said to him. He has to have obedience to those commands. Actions do not speak loudly to Jesus when we do not obey his commands. That's what he's looking for. Now, he told the nobleman to do something that the nobleman could do, but he didn't want to do. Go home. He had the ability to go home. He didn't want to go home without Jesus, but he had the ability to do it. Sometimes God will ask you to do something that you can do. But in this case, Jesus is asking the the man to do something that he cannot do. We may want to be healed. I put this in your outline. I wanted to make sure you had this written down for you. We may want to be healed, but if we don't have a longing for it or an earnestness about it, we will not likely leave our faulty beliefs and traditions to obey and do what is needed. Each one of us along the way have picked up faulty beliefs and traditions that are holding us back. This man has picked up some faulty beliefs and some traditions that will hold him back from being healed. Now, I want you to notice something. Out of the four Gospels, John is the only one who records this miracle. Matthew, Mark, and Luke very often record the same miracle and we get a little different perspective on it. None of them record this miracle. John is the only one who does so. Why do you think that is? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written first. John's gospel was not written until later. Most people estimated to be between somewhere between 90 and 100 AD. Well after all the other ones had been written. In fact, I believe the other disciples are already dead by the time this is, this is written. So he has access to what they wrote. He knows what they included and what they didn't. If you ever wonder why John has so many stories that are different from the first three, I think it's because he read over those and said, Oh, I'd like to see this story be told. Oh, what about this story over here? And so I think John had the opportunity to see what was recorded and to write some of those things 
that he thought in his spirit God was quickening him this one's important too and this is one of those stories that we have this is one of those accounts of a healing that John says we got to make sure that this one gets out there people need to see that I think it's amazing that the first three didn't record it because this is a remarkable story 38 years he had this going on came after seeking healing on a daily I don't know how long of those 38 years he was coming to the pool we're not told that it'd be wrong for us to assume all 38 years but he's been coming for a long time verse uh, 7 the sick man answered him well right now he is sick isn't he nothing's changed it didn't say the well man it said the sick man the sick man answered him sir I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up but while I am coming another steps down before me now I don't know how he got to the pool I have assumed someone brought him that is an assumption on my part I don't know if he just would crawl or if he just decided that he's maybe he's homeless and he just lives at the pool uh, I don't know we're not uh, really given any details on this. But can you imagine if he is being brought to the pool, can you imagine some of the conversations? Can you stay with me today? If the water is stirred up, I need somebody to put me in the water so we can be done this. No, I can't stay. But maybe they had a couple of days where they decided to stay and nothing happened or they didn't get him in, in time and they decided we're not going to do that anymore. That could be a discouraging thing. He could get a little bit of a glimmer of hope. Oh, I got somebody with me. And then it was taken away. Don't know that that happened. Might have happened. But he's got nobody now. And he's reminding Jesus of this. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. All right, so here's the problem. I want to be healed. Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? He doesn't answer the question. He just cites the problem. Have you ever had that with people? Come in there, you ask them, would you like this? And they just cite the problem. Would you like to get a new house? Well, I would, but you know, I just can't afford a down payment. And, and well, I just can't find one that I like. Just come up with the problems. That's not what you ask them. Yes, would you like one? This is what Jesus is saying. Would you like to be healed? Do you want to get healed? Well, you know, I got nobody to put me in the pool. I got nobody who can, who can do anything for me. When we become desperate, when we become hopeless in a situation, especially healing, when there's something physically wrong with us, we begin to look outside of ourselves for all the reasons why we're in this condition. Well, the reason that I'm here is because I have no man to help me out. I got nobody to, to come along, put me in the water. If I had that, maybe I would get healed. We look at the we look at the problem. The enemy will always try to get you to look at whatever hindrance he can dream up, whatever hindrance you can see as being in your way. Because as long as he can keep your focus on the hindrance, your focus will not be on the answer. Jesus is asking him, is your focus on being healed? And this man actually is answering the question, yes, my focus is on the problem. 
Many times we're not getting over the thing that we want because our focus is on the problem. Well, you don't know what I go... No, I don't. But what I do know is as long as you focus on the problem, you won't get to the answer. We've got to focus on the answer. Don't focus on the problem. When you keep constantly waking up in pain, it's hard not to focus on the problem. But you've got to get yourself beyond that. You've got to stop saying, well, I can just accept this part about myself that I just have to uh, live with this pain or, or go... No. We had to, no. There's the answer. The enemy wants you to focus on maybe it's God's will for you to have this. Maybe it's just not time yet for you to be healed. Maybe healing is not for everybody. Because if he can get you to focus on these other things, you're no longer focusing on the answer. You're focusing on a problem. And he knows as long as you focus on a problem, you won't get to the answer. I'm satisfied that I understand what the problem is. And until I can see a solution to the problem, I have no hope. Oh, that's a place the devil just loves us to be. He just loves us to be in that spot. You need this procedure. You can't get that procedure. So you're always going to be in this place. Oh, if I could just get that procedure done. If I could just have that done. If I only had a person who could put me in the pool. The enemy probably knows he's wore everybody out. How many of you know somebody who's in pain on a, on a regular basis? Can't do things? Did they get a little crotchety? A little nasty? A little short-tempered? <laughs> Some, not everybody, but a lot, a lot of people do. And you just don't want to be around them. You know, sometimes if the kids are, the little kids are around them and they're getting kind of short with them. Uh, let's go, let's leave them alone right now. <laughs> you, you just got to understand they, they have a lot of pain and sometimes it just bothers them and, and we just need to leave them alone, give them a little space. We've become adjusted to that. Let's go on. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. One of the things I love about studying the Word on this particular topic is whenever you see that the Lord has given a command, whether it's through Jesus' ministry here on earth, through a prophet, or through any, any way, whenever a command is given of what to do, it is short. It is always short. If you got a word that is paragraphs long about what you need to do, you probably didn't hear it from God. It probably came from someplace else. See, I look at the patterns in the Word. I love looking at patterns in the Word. The pattern is the word is in the Word is, when there's a problem, the solution is short. Do this. Our focus gets off this. We begin to look at, well, I would do that if I could. Well, that's the problem. I can't do those things. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how difficult that is. The nobleman, go home. Your son lives. No, I was just there. He's dying. I need you to come with me. Go home. Your son lives. That's a short command, isn't it? 
That's not one that we wanted to hear, that he wanted to hear. It's a short command. He could do it. He just didn't want to. Most times, God's commands are short. They're easily understood. But then the enemy wants to come along and complicate. He wants to divert your attention. We'll begin to work on this part over here. Begin to, to do... But that wasn't in there. This guy could be saying, rise, take up your bed and walk. All right, well, I'm going to try and do some things to help me uh, get into that. Maybe I'll get a bed that's uh, a little lighter. Maybe something that, that can be uh, more compact, taken up a little bit easier. I'll work on, on getting something like that. Uh, maybe I should envision myself walking for a while. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Three things. Now, what problems can you see with this? First off, well, you see that rising part? <laughs> I've been having trouble with that. Usually when I rise, somebody else is here and helps me, helps me to get up. Because you see, my legs don't work. Take up your bed and walk. See that walking part? We were, we're having some trouble there. Yeah, it's been uh, 38 years since I've walked. I'm not so sure. So if, if this command came to us, rise, take up your bed and walk. I want you to envision yourself in this man's place. You've been coming to the pool for a number of years. You have been lame for 38 years. People bring you to the pool maybe and leave you there and then come back when they're good and ready at the end of the day. Then they have the nerve to ask you how to go today. <laughs> Expecting to hear something different from what they're seeing. And this is your day every day. And then this guy, you do not know this man. This We'll show you the story. He does not know Jesus. He doesn't know about Jesus. He doesn't know any of the words that Jesus has taught. And there's a reason for it. And we're going to see this in just a moment. The woman with the issue of blood, remember what, what it said about her? When she heard about Jesus. Oh, she heard about Jesus. Why did the nobleman come a day, day and a half's trip to come and get Jesus? Because he heard about Jesus. Why did blind Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus was passing by, rise up and said, have mercy on me? Because he knew something about Jesus. This man knows nothing about Jesus. He has not sat in his meetings. He has not attended any crusades. He knows nothing about Jesus. Doesn't even know Jesus' face. And all of a sudden, this man shows up at the pool and gives him attention. And this is what he says. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. What was going on in the mind of this man? This man amazes me because he's been 38 years getting that unbelief built up on the inside of him. 38 years believing that God wants him in this condition. 38 years of people putting him down. 38 years of bitterness and anger rising up. How many years showing up at the pool every single day laying there watching other people get healed but him, no.
Rise, take up your bed, and walk. How many of you would like Jesus to give him a little bit of a pep talk? Now look, the anointing of God is on me, and he has sent me to heal the sick. So I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to obey it, okay? Wouldn't that have been helpful? Jesus didn't do that. He didn't give him any kind of a pep talk. He just said, do you want to be healed? If you really want to be healed, you'll do this. Folks, there's things that God has told us to do. If we really want to be healed, we would do it. And immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now, it says here, immediately the man was made well. How do you know that a lame man is made well? If he gets up. Right? That's when he, that, we know that he's well. When he gets up. If you had a person in a wheelchair and they were in a meeting and the healing evangelist was out there and he said, be healed. How would you know that that person was, was healed of their, of their, uh, paralysis that they had? And we've seen the, the meetings, we've seen the, the people, they rise up out of the wheelchair and then they begin to walk. Something either happened in his body where he felt the presence of God on him, but until he got up and tested those things, but it said he rose up. He got up and immediately man was made well and took up his bed and walked. Now look at this. Jesus says to him three things, right? Three things. Everybody say three. Three Three things to do. That means he's got to do all three, right? Rise. That's the first one. Second, take up your bed. Third, all right, now look what the man did. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. What's missing? You think he took a shortcut? No. Because the way he knew he was immediately made well was because he rose up. He rose up. And in rising up, he knew, I am healed. Took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now, if you looked at the bulletin comic today, this man is in the same position this little, little one was. Little guy says, you know, I'm too little, I'm too big. This man is too sick to get in on his own and he's sick enough to need to be there. He's caught in between. In this story, the command was something he wanted to do but thought he couldn't. I'm sure he couldn't. Like we said, the nobleman, it was something he could do but he didn't want to. God always is able, it seems, to give us a command that challenges us to submit our will. I'll tell you what, he is expert at this because he knows where we are. And he gives us a command that will test us in the area of submitting our will. Because that's what we have to do. I've got to submit my will to him. With the nobleman, it was different. With this man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. There is one reason why obeying someone else's command from God will not yield the same victory for us that it did for them. 
Because the command that God gave them challenged their submission. You're ready to submit to it. It doesn't challenge you at all. That's why it doesn't work. It doesn't work when you say, well, so-and-so, all they did was they threw out their medication. Oh, I can't do that. Throw out medication. And they find out I didn't get healed. Well, they, if they threw out their medication, they better have heard from God. We were down there at Ramah. Uh, I forget who it was that was instructing us. But it said that medication may be the only thing keeping you alive until your faith gets strong enough to take over. <laughs> Don't throw out your medication. Don't do that. If God tells you, then you can do it. But there's a submission thing. Just because somebody else heard it doesn't mean that you should do it. Somebody could be reading this and say, well, rise, take up your bed and walk, so I'm going to rise. In fact, I'm going to go out and buy a bed so I can take it up. <laughs> That's not going to work. The command comes to you. You need to be in a place to hear. And that command is going to challenge your submission. You'll look at somebody else's command and you'll say, oh, I can do that. I'm just going to step out there and do that. Yeah, you can do that. That's why it's not your command. You're all ready to go. No, the command that's going to come to you, you're going to say, hold on. I'm sure this guy on the inside is saying, hold on a minute. But he went on. First off, Jesus ignited that will to get well. Do you want to be made well? He ignited it. It's been buried. He thought, there's no way I can, I can get there. It's been buried. Until we obey... We don't connect to the power and therefore we have no results. It's obedience that connects us to the power. That power is there. But it's the obedience that connects you to the power. Just like if you're in your, in your house and if you plug something in a receptacle around your house, take a vacuum cleaner or something like that and plug it in and it doesn't turn on. How many of you are calling the electric company? Hey, something's on with the power. No, what would you check out first? The receptacle. The vacuum cleaner. Is there something wrong with the vacuum cleaner? You take the vacuum cleaner and plug it into a different plug. If it works over here, all right, it's not the vacuum cleaner. It's the plug. Then what do you assume about the plug? Something has become disconnected. It was connected, but now it's become disconnected. If we're not connecting to the power, don't call the power station. There's a problem with the connection. Until we obey, we don't connect. We often want God to respond to the action that we are prepared to give. Well, this is what I'm willing to do. But his response awaits the obedience he's prepared to receive. See, there's a, there's a command I'm willing to obey. Well, God, I'm willing to do this. God says, I don't want that. I want this over here. Oh, I'm not willing to do that. Uh, I don't know about... Hmm. Our obedience opens the door for God to move on our behalf. Our disobedience closes it. When we decide to not obey, we have decided to disbelieve the word spoken or revealed. When I've decided I'm not going to obey that, I have decided to disbelieve that word. Well, I can't be God. Well, that's not, that can't really do any good. That can't help me out. God, you're not realizing the problem here. 
Lack of obedience, more than a lack of action, is our main roadblock to receiving from God. People talk often about the actions of faith, and actions of faith are good, but if you are in disobedience, I don't care what kind of faith look and actions you got, you disobey. You need to listen. If you want an example of that, think back over to the first time that the Israelites traveled to get into the promised land. God says, go on in there. They sent the spies. The spies come back. And ten of them said, oh, it's bad. It's bad. And then two of them said, no, no, no. We are well able to take this. And the people decided to believe the ten. No, no, we can't do it. We're going back. We're going back. And God says to Moses, that's it. I'm done with these people. I'm wiping them all out. And he wiped every one of them out over the course of 40 years, except for the new generation. He says, we're going to raise up a new, new group of people that are ready to believe God. We're going to find people that are out there. We're going to train them up in the things of God. This is what we're going to do. Then they decided, you know what? That wasn't a very smart thing that we did. We repent. We're going to go now. And we're going to go take the land. We're going to have faith action. We're going to believe God. We're going to go in the land and we're going to take the land. And they went in and they lost. They got part of God's work done early. God's will is spread out over 40 years. They just lost a whole lot of them right there. They had faith actions. But you see, after disobedience, they had no power. Because they lost the connection. Obedience is your connection. We've said this uh, phrase very often here. I don't know when the last time was I said it. But whenever God gives a command, power follows. Look in the Word of God. He has never given a command. His power did not follow after. But in order to connect to that power, I've got to obey the command. Not give excuses for it, but obey it. That's what this person did. They obeyed it, and they connected to the power. Now, this man was alone. But if there were people he knew near him, I want you to imagine this scenario. People he knew that are near, near him, would they have encouraged obedience? Would they have encouraged him to believe what Jesus said? Can you imagine his people that have been near him? People that have been around him all these years, 38 years lame. And the man says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, you know you can't do that. Right? How many of you have relatives when they hear you talking faith? What are they doing? Now, you know you can't do that. You know that's not going to happen. How long have you been believing for that? Maybe it was a good thing he was alone. Maybe that's one of the reasons Jesus came over to him. Would they have encouraged him to stay with the tradition? Now, you know the tradition here is you get healed by being the first one in the pool. I don't know where this fool comes from. But you know that's the tradition. You're here because you're going to be the first one in the pool and get healed. Now, don't get distracted. He's over here talking all this faith stuff to you. And you're going to lose sight of the pool. And the pool's going to get stirred up and you're not going to get in. Now, get your focus back on the pool. Get your focus back on the tradition. Get your focus back on pleading and begging God to heal you. Have you ever been in a place 
where people could talk to you like that? Here's something even more to think about. Have you ever been in a place to talk like that to other people? When you have heard a word that someone says, God told me if I do this, I would be healed. Have you had opportunity to tell that person, you know that's not going to work. I don't know what you're talking about with that sort of thing. That's not, that can't have any effect on what you're facing at all. I don't want to be one of those people. Well, this man was alone. No one was around him to tell him all this stuff. The disciples, are, they're around there. They're, they're probably kind of shocked that all this is going on. They're not saying much. Verse 10, The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Glory to God in the highest. They didn't say that, did they? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Hmm. Now, later on, they're going to have trouble with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. They don't know Jesus all that well right now, and he hasn't done all that many miracles, let alone on the Sabbath. But this one he did on the Sabbath. They're going to eventually get a problem with this. But notice, they have no problem with the multitudes of people at the pool on the Sabbath seeking healing. No problem. But they do have a problem when you get healed and you carry your bed. They would prefer to complain about carrying the bed than rejoicing in the miracle. Well, sure you got healed, but you had 30 years of facing that thing. 30 years. They're going to find something to complain about. They're not going to rejoice with you. It's a shame, but it's nothing new. Well, have you ever complained that you were not healed when someone of a lesser spiritual stature was healed? Did it violate one of your laws? Well, I got a law that says people that have been in the church 30 years ought to be healed before those people have been in the church a week. That's my law. Did it violate your law? This healing violated some of their laws. Sometimes we get people, we're looking around and we see people got healed and it violates some of our laws. I heard that person talk before they came in the church. They should not have received healing. How come God is healing them when they talk like that? I came in praising God. They came in cussing. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. So they're looking at this guy who's been lame for 38 years. And they notice he's carrying the bed. Not that he's walking. Verse 11, He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Well, he's kind of brushing this off, isn't he? <laughs> It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I just obeyed the man who told me to take up my bed and walk. That was it. Don't don't look at me. I didn't come up with that. He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Now this man likely did not ever question the legal legal issue of should I or is it even lawful for me to carry my bed? I don't think he even picked that up. Now take a look at this. It is the Sabbath, right? Where are most good Jewish people on the Sabbath? At a synagogue. At a synagogue. What are they doing in the synagogue? Hearing the word read? Maybe some teaching going on? 
He's not in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's at the pool. He's not in the synagogue learning about God. He's out by the pool. How many of you want to think this is a first time event offense? Nope. I don't know. I, I would kind of think myself, well, if the angel's coming down, he's probably not coming down while synagogue is going on. So I could probably go to synagogue and then still make it on back over here in, in time. This man is not going to synagogue. He's not hearing the word read. He's not hearing anything taught. He's here all the time. That means his faith is not being built up. He's not learning about God. So the legal issues, probably not important to him at all. He don't care. Legal issues? Are you kidding me? It is easy when suffering long to get to a place where all that matters is what happens to or for me. When you have suffered long, you pretty much get to the place where I don't care what happens to Joe. I don't care what happens to Sue. All I care is what happens to me. Am I healed? No longer do I rejoice about other people getting good things. Because as soon as I see something good happens for them, it didn't happen for me. Everything's about me. Well, nobody blessed me. Well, nobody helped me. Become focused like that. He wanted to be healed regardless of the law. I don't care what the law says. I just want to get healed. I need to get healed. Some people today, they are so bound to their laws that obedience to the Lord's commands is questioned. Can you imagine that? If this man hadn't learned the laws, maybe if these laws were instilled in him, and Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk, that he might have said, Take up my bed. It's the Sabbath. I wonder how he got there with his bed. And if he carried his bed or if people carried him on his bed, apparently that was not an issue. How is it not an issue that two people are carrying him on a bed to the pool, but now it's an issue that he's carrying the bed without him on it? Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. How many of you would know the person that healed you? He don't know. That means he never saw his face before. He never heard of him before. If he did, he would have known it was Jesus. Something would have triggered. He would have just said, well, it was Jesus, that, that Jesus guy. He's the one who came and told me to take up my bed and walk. Now look at verse 12 again. Then they asked him. So this is the religious people who had the laws. Who was the man who said to you, rise, take up your bed and walk? Um, they didn't say that, did they? How come they left the rise part out? Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Did the man not tell him? But that's left out, isn't it? John's writing this story. John's the one who told us, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now we got take up your bed and walk. The rise part is left out. If you were the religious people of the day, even if you didn't know a whole lot about Jesus at this point, wait a minute, the man told you to just take up, you're lame. 
You've been lame for 38 years. And the man just told you to take up your bed? Well, no, he didn't just say take up my bed. He said, rise, take up your bed and walk. But when he said rise, there's something about the way he said rise. I've never heard anybody ever say rise like that before. There was power in the way that he said it. And though I didn't know who this man was, I knew I needed to obey him. And when I obeyed what he said to do, 38 years of paralysis is gone. Could you imagine if he said something like that? We don't have that he said anything like that. There's still more in this story. We're not done with this yet. Now this tells you that the man was not into anything going on around him. Just what was going on in him. That's all he knew. He's not into what's going on around him. I don't know about it. people coming into the city, causing a fuss with their teaching. Don't know about that. He didn't know Jesus. This is early in Jesus' ministry. But he could have known if he got away from the pool. The nobleman, as far as I can tell, is the chrono- chronological in, in, in this um, event. He knew. He came all the way over to where Jesus was. The woman with the issue of blood, she got out of her suffering and need. She found out about Jesus. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. He didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus knew what he looked like. This man apparently didn't even know what Jesus looked like. And said to him, see, you have been made well. Now watch this. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Has that ever caused anybody a little question? Why does Jesus say that? Sin no more. Is Jesus telling us that sin caused this? Now, I would say that it's likely no, just from some of the other situations that we have. The man who was born blind, the disciples came to him and said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God may be glorified. Huh, so sin wasn't an issue there. And there's other places where Jesus will teach the same same thing. doesn't seem to be that that's what he's getting at. But he says very clearly, he makes a point to find this man and to tell him some things. Now, how many know if Jesus makes a point to find him and to speak some words to him, those words are important. We ought to spend as much time understanding these words he speaks after he's healed as we spent on the ones before he was healed. See, you have been made well. That's in regardless of whatever sins he was guilty of. Whatever sins he was into, whatever sins had held him captive, regardless of it, he was made well. Jesus didn't come to him and said, you can get healed if you give that sin up. He didn't do that, did he? We've made mention of this numerous times over the years. But there are two things you can do for the unsaved. One is get them saved. And two is get them healed. Those are things you can do for the unsaved. You do not need to qualify somebody about how saved they are before you pray for them to get healed. But, (laughs) there is a but. See, you have been made well. 
You were made well in whatever state you were in. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. If Jesus said this, is it possible? This is a warning. He wants to let him know. He, he finds him to let him know. See, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, sin may not have caused this condition. But sins of anger, bitterness, unthankfulness, unforgiveness toward people with harsh attitudes and so forth, they might cause us to stay in such a terrible state. I put this in your outline to make sure you got it. Wrong attitudes keep faith scarce and doubt comfortable. Wrong attitudes keep faith scarce and doubt comfortable. You got to get them wrong attitudes out. Healing and salvation. In the Word, you can look at these as bread. You remember that parable we were looking at. Healing and salvation are two things you can pray for an unbeliever. But after healing is received, action is needed. Now, salvation took action of repentance. Healing did not. But once the healing comes, action is needed. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. Yeah, I've shown you that God loves you, that God will minister to you, that God has restored you to this place. Now, you need to get rid of those wrong attitudes. You need to get rid of those sins, those things that you're hanging on to. Whatever it might be, you need to get rid of them because if you do not, a worse thing will come upon you. Jesus does not want this to be. But he warns them this can happen. Remember, one other time Jesus taught about this. He said when a demon is cast out of a soul and he comes back and he sees it all clean and swept, he goes out and he finds seven more evil than himself and they all come and make their home. And the latter state is worse than the first. Jesus has warned him, fix things or your next state will be worse. Worse than 38 years? Being lame? Hanging out at the pool? No one seems to like them? Wrong attitudes keep faith scarce. And doubt comfortable. You get wrong attitudes, your doubt is just comfortable living there. We're just at home here. This is just great. You ever have someone come to stay at your house that you did not want to come stay at your house? What is one of the ways that you get rid of them? Make them uncomfortable. Make them uncomfortable. How many remember that commercial that came on? Uh, I think it was around Christmas time. Maybe post Christmas time. Um, the guy, you had the old man, he's out by the pool, relaxing. And he comes on in with a cup of coffee, fills up his coffee, and he goes back out. we got to tell Santa, he's got to go home. He's got to get out of here. <laughs> Santa was comfortable. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, doubt's comfortable in your life. It's not going anywhere. I've got to make doubt uncomfortable in my life. I've got to get rid of the wrong attitudes. Doubt loves unthankfulness. Doubt loves anger. 
bitterness, unforgiveness. Doubt loves it. This is making us feel at home. Never walked into a home and you thought, oh, I could not be comfortable here. Oh, I don't like how this is and this is just icky. And the smells and the things that are going on, but they're, they're comfortable. But you can just walk in it. No, I, I, I can't be comfortable in this, in this spot. You got to get your doubt uncomfortable. You got to start doing some things. You start moving some stuff in, putting on some fresh paint, cleaning up some stuff. Doubt says, no, 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 I like it like that. <laughs> no, we're moving this stuff out. Getting rid of that, that chair. Stinky, smelly chair. Getting that out. Look at this, verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. All right, now look at this. Jesus comes and gives them these words and the man departs and goes where? He goes to the people who would have rather he not be healed than carry his bed. Who does this man seem to be a servant of? Not Jesus. I put this in your outline for you. You don't even have to fill in any blank. Unless he makes a change, obedience to Jesus' second command is not likely. I would love to know what happened to this man after this story. Did this man retain this healing or did this man become paralyzed or something worse again? Jesus told him, he warned him, fix it, or something worse is going to come upon you. Jesus didn't want this to come upon him, but it was going to because doubt was making his home there. And he runs off and he tells the Jewish leaders. That was Jesus. That was him. He's the guy. I didn't do it on my own. He's the one. You want to be mad at somebody? Go get him. That's Jesus. That guy right there. How grateful are you after 38 years of paralysis? Let's go tell on Jesus. Let's finish this up. Some people look for God to respond to their action. I'm looking for God to respond to me. This is my action. This is what I want to do. God, I want you to respond to it. But God may have given a command on which he awaits obedience. Now, often God's command is something that we are unable to do first off I can't do that I hear the command of God I can't do that rise up I can't do that can't do that if I could do that I wouldn't be here I'm unable to do second unwilling to do the nobleman unwilling to do I don't want to go home but he did or third or can do but don't see how it will change anything. I'll tell you what, we've had that one before, haven't we? God gave a command, do this. Well, I can do that, but that's not going to make any difference. That is not going to change a thing. I'm still going to have this condition. I'm still going to feel this way. That's not going to help. Don't just obey the things that bring what you need. Obey what comes next to remain in it. Don't just obey the thing that brings what you need. 
Rise up, take up your bed and walk. That brought what you needed. Obey what comes next. I put three things out in here. First off, repent from bad attitudes. And repent means you change the direction. You had unthankful attitudes, unforgiving attitudes, whatever it might be. Repent from bad attitudes and turn around from that. You got healed. You received healing. All right. Now, I'm going to get rid of all these bad attitudes. That healing did not mean all those bad attitudes were okay. Just because you got healed doesn't mean things are okay. That's why Jesus came up and sought this guy out. Now look, get out of the sin or a worse thing is going to come upon you. Those words were important. Repent from bad attitudes. Second, retrain ourselves in good actions. Repent from bad attitudes and retrain ourselves in good actions. Learn how to be thankful. Learn how to be loving. Learn how to reach outside of yourself. Get yourself some actions. Get yourself some faith actions. Do some things that are born of faith, not things that are born of doubt. Don't continually complain about stuff. Go out there and find the good in things. Help other people. Don't be one of those ones who says, well, that's not going to work. Why in the world would you try that? Repent from bad attitudes. Retrain ourselves in good actions. And third, replace doubt habits with faith ones. you got a whole lot of doubt actions that go on in your life. You're not even aware of all of them because you have become so comfortable with them around. This is just something you do. And we just, we just say, we speak these things, we say these things, I expect these things. But don't do it. No, i got to retrain myself. i got to replace some of those doubt habits I've got and i got to bring in new habits. Just like with your physical body, you've got to replace some bad eating habits with some good ones. You've got to replace some bad exercise habits with some good ones. You've got to replace some things in your life. Just because you got healed doesn't mean everything is good right now. Now, get yourself. I'm going to set myself in this direction. I am going to retrain. I am going to replace. I am going to repent. I'm going to change some things in my life. Because if you don't do this, what you received based on nothing except you obeyed the command has no root to stay in your life. We've talked about this before, but people who get something on their own faith, like the woman with the issue of blood, they don't get this command. They don't get Jesus following up with them because their faith is there. The doubt has been kicked out. When you achieve that healing that you needed, you got to that level and you, you received that thing, you already built yourself up to this. But when you just received the healing, it didn't mean everything was all right because you didn't get it on your own faith. This man got nothing on his own faith. Jesus found him. So I summed it up this way. So to remain, repent, retrain, and replace. In order to remain, repent, retrain, and replace. If you receive something from God, you want to remain there, this is what you need to do. You need to be thinking about it. 
I need to repent. What is it in my life I need to repent of? What is it I need to be retrained on? And what needs to be replaced? Taken out of my life. God will show you. God will speak to you. And he'll say to you, Steve, I'm glad you asked me. Get rid of this. Oh. Okay. And we'll work on it. We set ourselves out there to do it. I'm going to build myself up on the Word. I'm going to get myself into a place where I can walk in this. I can sustain this. I can get this thing going. Anything in your life that was difficult level to attain to takes some effort to sustain it. It may take you a long time to learn how to play the piano. But once you learn, you've got to sustain it. It may take you a long time to learn and to train your body how to ride 50 miles on a bike. But once you did it, did it you need to sustain it. Whatever it is that took you something to get there, it will take you something to sustain it. Well, I tell you what, I can preach a whole other Sunday on just from that part. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that we can repent, retrain, and replace. There are things in our life that have cultivated some of the situations that we have accepted as normal. But we can repent of those things. We can retrain ourselves into good actions and we can replace those doubt habits with faith habits. And you will instruct us and you will help us all the way. I thank you for the things that you speak to us. Thank you for the things that you help us with. Your desire was not for this man to be lame at all. You sought him out. And then once he got to that place of being restored, you sought him out again. Let him understand now you need to do some things. And Father, there are some things we need to do in our life. And I thank you that you help us to find them and to do them. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, glory to God. I hope you enjoyed the our first look at the healing stories. I love the healing stories. I could live on the healing stories. I just love meditating on them. Uh, I, I think you all know my favorite one. I've not been too shy about that. My favorite one is the woman with the issue of blood. I love meditating. We come to that one. I just spend extra time. I just know I'm going to be here extra time. I just got to meditate this. Because there's still more I can learn from her. Hmm. We're going to have a, a new post coming out. This is uh, Brother Dale uh, Bronner. Anybody ever heard of him? No. Bishop. He goes by Bishop Dale Bronner. He's a pastor of a church. He, um, uh, I cannot put it up on the website. He is one of those places that has copyrighted all their material and uh, won't let us put it up anywhere. So you have to use the link. So that may mean I won't use too many more, which is a shame because I actually found a couple other ones I, I enjoyed from him. He is not a line-by-line teacher. Now, most of the time that I'm finding people for you here on Monday, most people are not a line-by-line teacher. I am. I am a dinosaur. I understand that. (laughs) My type are going extinct. We used to be plentiful, but we're going extinct. There's just not a whole lot. Most people like to get a word from God and talk about it the entire time. 
That's what God's called them to do. That's fine. That's, I like to teach you the word. That's my goal. I want to teach you the word so that you learn the word so that when you're in a situation, you take what you learn from the word and you apply what you learned in the word. That, to me, grounds you a lot more. Not everybody goes that way. Don't expect a teacher out of what's going on. He's going to take a principle and he's going to just keep on expounding over that over the, over the time. But he's going to, to do this. He's going to, um, he's going to talk about even Isaac. He's going to make some mistakes because he went by his feelings. I think you'll enjoy that aspect of it. And I put the quote, the quote in the bulletin came from that message that you're going to hear. I put that quote in the bulletin for a couple of reasons. One is a good quote. It was a good, it was a, it was a great one. I enjoyed that, that quote of it. Uh, the second one is when he said it. The way he said it, I don't know. Uh, maybe he's got just a, uh, just something about the way he talks. It sounded like to me he said on the third one, caution is the voice of the spirit. Feelings is the voice of the body. Reason is the voice of the mind. And when I'm listening to it, I heard him say he didn't. Understand, he did not. But I heard him say, caution is the voice of the Spirit. As soon as I heard that said, in myself, I rose up and said, that's wrong. I said it out loud. That's wrong. I didn't care what he was going to support it with. Didn't matter to me. Rose up, that's wrong. The only reason I'm sharing this for you is this. There's a lot of times that you all are listening to things that are wrong. And it's not rising up on the inside of you that it is. You ought to be passionate about things, about hearing things that are wrong. And I'll tell you what, I was listening to him. I was enjoying everything about the, or most things about this message. When he got to that, just, mm, that's wrong. Because I know my God. And he is not the voice of caution. So I went on back and I listened to him say it again. Oh, oh, he's saying conscience. Okay, <laughs> conscience. I can, I can get behind that. <laughs> but you see, when you hear wrong stuff being taught, don't sit there and it shouldn't be a thing. Well, I got to figure this out whether it is. Down in your spirit, that's where you go. It's down in your spirit. That's what triggers you. Not your knowledge of the word. You don't always need that. Down in your spirit, it'll kick off. That's wrong. I don't know why, but that's not right. And you can also hear stuff that you don't understand. But in your spirit is saying, yeah, I don't know why that's right, but that's right. That's right. I know it. Down in my spirit, I know that's right. That's how it needs to get on the inside of you. And he, he talks about this thing about knowing the voice. I love, the, I love this whole thing. We talked about it a few times. You're going to get a little different perspective on it. Knowing the voice of the shepherd. Knowing the voice of the Spirit. You've got to know your God. And that's one of the things he emphasizes on this. Is you should know your God so that when you hear something else, that's not my God. That's not my God. My God does not say things like that. My God doesn't speak things like that. But sometimes we are moved by what other people say. Well, other people are saying this about me, so I guess that's so. No! But a whole lot of times other people said all kinds of things about folks that was not so. Don't you be listening to that? What's the Spirit of God witnessing on you inside? What's the Spirit of God telling you on the inside? That's the voice that you follow. You've got to get more and more tuned in to what that voice says so that when you hear something that is not right, down on the inside of you, it rises up. No! 
that's not right. Then you can go figure it out from there. But anyway, that's going to be out there for you. You can um, enjoy that. Once you listen to that, you'll probably see some other links to some things and maybe you might want to enjoy some of them as well. They will be out there. On Wednesday night, we are looking at the opposition that rose up. They got all kinds of good things that were working on the wall. Everybody's out there to get into work and then opposition comes in. What happens when you are doing a good work for God and things are, everybody's got their spot and everybody seems to be getting along and all of a sudden here comes the opposition. What do you do? So that's on Wednesday night. Friday night we have our prayer night. It's going to go on at 7.30. Love to have you here. You can't do that one too well by, um, uh, by Facebook and by YouTube, but you can do it by being here. We would love to have you all come on out here. That's 7.30 this Friday night. You can come on out here and, and be a part of that. Thanks for being a part of the things here today. We are glad to have you join us and have a good rest of your day. I know that everybody who, I love to hear in the praise reports, people talking about the uh, the work that my wife and Mandy did on the on the retreat. I know I saw what they were doing. They were doing a lot of work getting that thing ready. And um, I'm glad that you all enjoyed that like you did. Have a great rest of the day.